Well, anybody got that friend that's just always down, like down for whatever? Let me, let me see, show of hands if you got a friend like that, or maybe you're the friend, right? You're just down for whatever. Hey, we're gonna go do this. It doesn't matter what we're gonna do. I'm down, man. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, a lot of guys on our staff, uh, we, 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 our friend that's like that is Bert. He works with us. Bert has always been down for whatever, right? I, I'm stranded in Alaska, Bert. I'm there. I'm down, right? I, I'm, I'm going. Whatever the trip is, right? Whatever, the, 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 whatever we need, whatever, whatever it is, Bert has always been down. But as he's gotten a little bit older, He's gotten married, right? That starts to change. You can't be down for whatever, right? When you get a little bit older, when you get married. But that's what great, that's what great about your 20s, right? People are like, hey, you down? I'm like, I'm, man, I'm down. Your friends call, hey, you wanna, you wanna go? I don't even care where we're going. Like, I'm, I'm down, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going. I don't even know, but, I, but I'm down, right? Your 30s come and you're like, where are we going? Right? How, how late are they open? Is it loud there? Uh, can I take my own car? Because I'd like to drive myself, right? Your 40s come and you're like, I'm not going, right? I can't even, I can't even believe you would ask. Why would you ask me? You know, I'm, not, I'm just going to stay home. Like, I can't believe you thought I would go. Well, Paul's going to say to the Corinthians this morning in 2 Corinthians 9, like, you said you were down. Like, you, you, you said you were down. And so now my boys are going to come and make sure you're still down. Like, you're still ready to go right? They're coming to make sure you're still down because when it comes to giving to the emergency, and if you've been here for our series, you know what I'm talking about. But when it comes to giving to the emergency, Paul is going to tell us this morning in second Corinthians nine, that God loves the kind of person that's like, I'm down. What's the need? I'm down. Like the first step is I'm ready. I'm down, like whatever it is. Now, I may have to figure some things out like about how much and what I'm gonna do and not do so that I can do that, right? But God loves a person who when there's an emergency, when there's a need says, I am down. We're in the middle of a series called First. A year ago, our church began a season called Project One. And we are at the midpoint of that season and we are reminding and refreshing ourselves about what Project One was all about, where we're headed as a church and being faithful to those commitments that we made. And so our team has put together these awesome guidebooks. They're being passed out right now. If you don't have one, would you lift up your hand? If you didn't get one, would you lift up your hand here in the middle, okay? Okay, gotta get that hand up in the air, not like a Baptist, way down low. Get it up like a Pentecostal, way up in the air, okay? so that we can spot you. I got, I got somebody here on my left, back Pete, right here in the center. Okay, yeah, if you hadn't gotten a guidebook, raise your hand and we will get a guidebook to you. These guidebooks talk about where we've been as a church, where we're going, what God has put before us, our vision. And so make sure you have one of these guidebooks, all right? Now, if you missed week one, of our series, please go back and watch week one, watch the whole series online on our app, on, on our podcast. But in week one, there's a like 12 minute vision video that we emailed out to our whole church. Please make sure you've watched that video, okay? It's on our app under the project one tab. But that video summarizes where we've been and what's in front of us as a church. In project one, over the last year, we have said there is one God there is one name by which we are saved. That means there is one faith, one family, and one focus worthy of giving our one lives for. And so we said two challenges. First one, all, all in, right? All of us, all in. Not some giving all or all giving some. No, no, because of what God has placed before us, it's going to require all, all in. All of us, all in. And out of the overflow of what God is doing in our hearts, right? All, all in. The second challenge was that we would give our all. Like David in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 3, it was the key verse for us a year ago. David said this, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all. Because of my devotion to God, because of my devotion to the people of God, I'm all, all in. So out of the overflow of what God has done in my heart, my, my, where my devotion's at, I'm going to give my all. We said it was time for a new core group of people to rise up, just like the core group that originally launched our church five years ago. We said it was time for a new core group to rise up in this next season of our church and that it was going to take faith, surrender, sacrifice, and risk. See, Project One 
is all about living for and being a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, making an eternal impact. And we're a year in, you guys made commitments and you've been faithful to those commitments. God has used you to do so much. And with 12 months left of Project One, and as we consider what lies before us as a church, we believed God was leading us to go verse by verse through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now, at our church, we normally are walking through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And many of you have asked, hey, what's next? What book are we gonna study next? In January, mid in January, we're going to start a verse-by-verse study of Acts. Acts is like Luke part two. And so if you've been here, you know we went through the gospel of Luke. We're going to be studying the book of Acts starting about mid-end January. Now, all right, back to today. Our key verse in this series has been 2 Corinthians 8 verse five, which says this. Paul is referring to the Macedonian believers. And he says, their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. Their first action, their first focus, their first priority was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, Paul says, just as God wanted them to do. Like this was God's will for his kids to give themselves first to the Lord and to us as the body of Christ. And these challenges in this commitment card that were in your guidebook. And we're gonna give everybody a commitment card at the end of the service today to pray about over this next week. But the challenges in this commitment card, to make a commitment if you're new here, or you didn't make a commitment last year, to finish strong, or to maybe even increase that commitment, these challenges represent us giving ourselves first to the Lord and then to us. Next Sunday, November 12th, please be here if you can. Please be here. Next Sunday, November 12th is a Sunday that we as a church are going to covenant together as we fill out these cards and we turn them in and we take these steps of faith together. So next Sunday is commitment weekend. I wanna challenge everybody to be here if you can. If you know you're not going to be here, you're gonna take this card at the end of the service that we're gonna give you. Pray about it. You can turn it in this week, next week. You can also go online if you know you're not gonna be here and fill out a digital commitment form uh, on our app under the Project One tab. Here's what I know about every single follower of Jesus in this room. You have the Holy Spirit of God living and beating inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is giving you a desire to live for something bigger than yourselves, to live for a story that's bigger than you. The Holy Spirit is giving you a desire. It pumps, it beats for the story of God a story that is so much bigger than just little old me. You see, if you're like me, I know that you want to get to the end of your life and believe that you did more than just pay your bills, occupy space and consume resources. But if that's gonna be true for you and I, it's going to take living out these verses and responding to these challenges together as a community of faith. So let's dive in today. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter nine. Let me give you some background again, just to make sure we all kind of know what 2 Corinthians eight and nine is all about and where it comes from. It's the overflow of what's happened in chapters one through seven, of what Paul has preached about in chapters one through seven. In 2 Corinthians chapters one through seven, here's what Paul has already said, that God has comforted us with the gospel and with the Holy Spirit so that we can comfort others. Paul has said that we are to share in the sufferings of Christ together, along with everyone else in the first century that was suffering for the sake of the gospel. Paul tells the Corinthians, hey, you you need to join with us. Like, this is who we are. We are a people that suffer and sacrifice and risk for the cause of Christ. And so Paul's gonna challenge, hey, you guys aren't exempt. Like, you need to join with us and suffering together for the gospel. Paul's gonna say that we share in the ministry together as ministers of the new covenant, that it's not just pastors and leaders that are ministers of the new covenant. No, every last follower of Jesus is a minister of the new covenant. And so together we share in that ministry. Paul's gonna say that the glory of the new covenant makes it worthy to suffer for It's one of the few things in this life that is worthy of suffering and even dying for, Paul's gonna say. 
Paul's gonna say that we are God's ambassadors, that God is making his appeal to the world through you and through me, that we are his ambassadors. Paul's said that we faithfully preach the truth of God and we serve God regardless of the cost, regardless of the sacrifices. And so everything that he's written about in chapter one through seven, everything he's challenged the Corinthians about in one through seven is now gonna find its overflow in eight and nine. That radical generosity to the emergency and if you've been here, you know what we're talking about. Radical generosity to the emergency is always the overflow of everything that Paul has written about in one through seven. Now, if you've been here, you know there is a real emergency happening, right? The Jerusalem believers are suffering because of a famine in the land and Paul's been raising money for 10 years and the church at Corinth has promised to help. And so Paul's writing to encourage them to follow through using the Macedonian churches and how they've responded to the emergency to challenge the Corinthians to respond in a similar manner. And so in week one, we said that grace receivers are grace dispensers, right? That we experience the grace of God and that the gospel in week two and the grace of God we talked about in week one, it ignites this desire to extend grace and to join in the ministry of giving. We saw that in week one, in week two. In week three, we saw that we're not the owners of anything, that we're the stewards of everything that God has given us and that a good steward understands that they're on a battleship, right? Not, not a cruise ship, but a battleship. And that a good steward will always use the owner's money in a way that honors the way they want it to be used, right? This week, today, we're talking about this spirit, this attitude of I'm down, I'm ready. That a believer in Christ, their, their first step is I'm down, I'm ready. I, I, I'll figure out what and how much and all those kinds of, we'll talk about that here in a little bit too. But my first step, my spirit, my attitude is I am so down. I am so ready to give for the cause of Christ. So join with me, follow along on our app in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You can go to message notes and all the points and the verses are going to be there. If you don't have our app, download it in your app store. It's called the City Church Lubbock. Chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says this. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. Let's stop right there. First of all, Paul says that giving is ministry. He says, oh, I, you, you, you said that you were gonna help. And he said, this, this help, this gift that you're going to give, he calls it a ministry of giving. Giving is ministry. When you give, you are funding the spread of the gospel first and foremost. That's what the Jerusalem believers did. If you're here in week one, you remember that one of the reasons the Corinthians are stirred up to give is because they recognize that the Jerusalem believers gave first. Those mothership believers, right? The, the early church, the, that first church, they gave financially for the spread of the gospel so that missionaries could get to unreached people groups to peoples that had never heard the name of Jesus. They gave. And so now the Corinthians are stirred up to give to their physical need because the Jerusalem believers gave to their spiritual need. You follow me? So Paul says, when you give, it's a minute, you're joining in ministry, in the ministry of the new covenant so that people can preach the gospel, both locally, here and there among unreached people groups, and you're giving to meet physical needs in Jesus's name. I've told you over the last few weeks that every single week here, we are helping somebody keep the power on, get the water back on, get groceries, keep their car from getting repossessed, Two people this week, we helped keep the power on in their homes. Every week that's happening, both inside of our church and, and, and people come to us from outside of our church. And our first step forward is always, man, we're down, right? We'll, 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 sometimes there's details, right, to, to, to work out. Sometimes there's an issue, but, but our first step is always, we're down, we're, we're ready. 
When you give, it is ministry, Paul says. Verse two, he says this, you were eager. In other words, you, you were down, right? You were down to help. And I've been bragging on you to, to, to everybody. And, and he says, your, your readiness, like you're, you're being down. It excited others, right? Like when you, it's like when you call your friend, hey, you wanna go? Yeah, I'll go. You, you, are you down? Yeah, I'm down. Like it gets you even more fired up. It can get you even more excited. And Paul's gonna say that their readiness to get, like we're, we're down. It, it ignited a passion and an excitement in other people to be down, to be ready. In fact, Paul's gonna say, it ignited the Macedonian belief that, that Paul's been bragging on all through 2 Corinthians chapter eight. And if you've been here, you know what I'm talking about. He, he's gonna say that the Corinthians desire to get their eagerness, their excitement to give ignited a fire and it stirred up the Macedonian believers to start giving. You see, your faith, your worship, your sacrifice, your example, it inspires others. And listen, it's why it's so important to actually be in the room. I, I'm not talking about like just religious routine, but you've got to understand that like being in the room together is so important because your faith, your worship, right? Your prayers, your diving into the word and engaging, it's gonna inspire someone else. You see, your participation in the body of Christ isn't all about you and what you get out of it. In fact, that's like the third priority. First, we're here to glorify God, to make his name famous, to lift up the name of Jesus together, to honor and to glorify God. But then secondly, you're here for someone else. Like you are here to minister to somebody else with your faith with your worship, with your prayers, with your diving into the word. You never know who's sitting next to you, who's down the row, who's across the room, that because of whatever's happened in their life that week, they can't voice the words on that screen. But because you are, it ministers to them and inspires them. That's why sitting behind a screen for church online will never do. It's good for when you're sick, if you're out of town, but trying to participate in a church online week after week after week is nothing but selfishness and immaturity. You've gotta be in the room. And it's not even necessarily about you. You've got to be in the room because when we're together, something powerful and special happens as we worship the name of Jesus. And something powerful and special happens in the lives of believers in this room when they see you worship and pray and engage. But the opposite's also true. If you're distracted, chances are it's gonna cause someone else to be distracted. If you're bored, chances are it's gonna lead other people to be bored. If you go through the motions, it's gonna lead other people to go through the motions. Your faith, your generosity, your work, it inspires other people. Paul said, you were down and it, it ignited this fire in other people to be down and just like you were. And, and, and we talked about this last week, but, but again, are you seeing what, what these first century believers were excited about? Like what they were eager for, what they were excited about? We talked about this last week. You, you and I, we, we get excited about what a 15 or a 16 year old or a 21 or a 21 or, or, or a 22 year old like does on a court or, or on a field. And listen, there, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But what does it say about us when we're more excited about the Chiefs winning their football game this morning? Guess they did win, by the way. So don't worry about checking your phones, okay? <laughs> But, but what does it say about it when we're more excited about that than we are about the goodness, the gospel, right? I mean, grown men cried this week when the Rangers won the World Series. 
and that's okay. I'm not dogging that. I had a tear in my eye, okay? It was exciting. There's nothing wrong. With, but, but what does it say about what's first in our hearts when we can shed a tear over 20-year-olds winning a baseball game and be totally unmoved by the great news of the gospel? Right? I mean, what does it say about what we're giving ourselves first to? These first, they, they, this, this, this is where we come from. The, these are our ancestors. This is our DNA, not this casual, comfortable, religious Christianity that you and I have grown up in in our country. This is our DNA. This is where we come from. These are our people. Radically generous and excited about ministry. This is where we come from. Verse three, Paul says, but I'm sending these brothers to you to be sure you really are ready. It's like Paul saying, you're saying you're ready. You say you're down. I'm gonna send my boys to make sure you're down, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sending the boys to make sure you're ready to go. He says, as I've been telling them, and that your, your, your money is all collected, I, I don't wanna be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed not to mention your own embarrassment if some Macedonians believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you have promised is ready, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. In verse three through four, Paul is saying, if when his boys arrive, right, you've said you're down, you've said you're ready, so, so my boys are coming, they're gonna make sure you're down, they're gonna make sure you're ready, and if when they arrive in Corinth, they were found to have, the, the, these Christians, these Corinthians Christians were unprepared, Paul would have been embarrassed, he says, because I've been bragging about you, I've been boasting about your faith and your willingness, your readiness to give. But then Paul says something here. I would be embarrassed, but that embarrassment would only be exceeded by the humiliation that would have been experienced by the Corinthians themselves. Here's the implication. The implication is that their failure to give generously would be evidence that their faith was less than genuine. They were talking the talk but when they actually showed up, if they found them not walking the walk, Paul says that would be really embarrassing. I would be embarrassed because I've been boasting about you. I've been bragging about you and your faith. But Paul says, if we show up and you're not ready and you're not down like you said you were, I would be embarrassed. But this is pretty harsh. He says, you're gonna be embarrassed a whole lot worse than I am though because it's always embarrassing when who you are and the way you act doesn't match up with what you say, right? Like the, the, the church in our day, we, we've kind of downplayed this idea of shame and embarrassment, at least in a spiritual sense. Like, there, that, like that there's nothing for us to ever be ashamed of or embarrassed by. But there is, and you can even see it here, there is a, a good kind of shame. There is a good embarrassment. There is a holy kind of shame and embarrassment that says that's not who you are. You're living in a way that is not who you are, right? A, a, a bad shame says that's just who I am, right? It's who I am. I'll, I'll never get this right. I'll, 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 it is who I am. I'll never be like this. It is, this is the way that I am. That, that's, that's, that's a shame that starts saying and, and affecting your identity. But, but there is a shame. There is a level of embarrassment that says, that's not who you, that's not who I am. And when I do something that's not in line with who I am, there is a level of shame and embarrassment that is holy and good and righteous. A shame that's felt when you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. Paul is saying, it's good. 
There's a holy kind of shame that says, that's not who I am. And so I've got to repent of that sin. So in verse five, to avoid this embarrassment, to avoid this humiliation, Paul is sending these brothers ahead so that they can arrange for this gift in advance. So that when Paul and these Macedonian brothers show up, they can avoid any kind of hasty collection when he arrives so that the Corinthians gifts are willing and not coerced. Verse six, Paul says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will impact eternity. You see, in the first century, you didn't just go down to the local seed store and buy seed, right? That's, that's not how it worked. You got seed from your harvest. So here's the dilemma. Here's the, the tension that, that we all face, and it's why Paul uses this analogy. The tension here is I can either eat what I've harvested or I can take what I've harvested and replant it and get even more. You feel the tension here? I can keep what I've harvested or I can replant what I've harvested and get even more in return. And so Paul is using this analogy to, to say that we are to be led by God through the Holy Spirit to decide how much to give, knowing that the more that we give generously, the more opportunity there is for blessing. So God, through his spirit, will lead us to be content with what we have, provide for our families, those things are good. Those, are, those, those aren't bad things. Those are, those are good things. But then to replant, to reinvest some of what God has blessed us with so that there can be a return, so that what God has blessed us with can be multiplied and there can be an even greater harvest. Paul will say, God delights in the cheerful giver, NLT says. Because in verse eight, Paul says this, he himself is a cheerful giver. So God being a cheerful giver in his identity creates man and woman. Remember what Genesis one says? In his image, in his likeness. So because God is a cheerful giver and he creates us in his image, that means that we are created originally in the likeness of God to be cheerful givers just like he is because we've been created by God in his image, in his likeness. And God, Paul says, is a cheerful giver. So watch this. Because God is a cheerful giver and we've been made in his image, in his likeness to be cheerful givers, God desires to see this characteristic restored in us as we follow Jesus. So part of the discipleship process, part of the sanctification process of becoming more like Christ, more like the way God created us is becoming more and more generous. You see, one of the curses of sin in the fall is that we become selfish. We become greedy. We become stingy, right? That's, a, that's one of the curses of the fall. It's a curse of sin. And so part of walking with Jesus and knowing Jesus is being transformed more into the image of Christ who is himself a cheerful giver. Some Greek dictionaries define this cheerful giving instead as at the ready. I'm ready to give. 
that cheerful giving is being ready to give. That those two things are synonymous. That my readiness to give reveals a cheerfulness, a willingness in my heart to give just like God. And so if I'm not ready, if I'm not, if my first step is I'm down, I'm ready. I'll figure out the details later, but man, I'm ready. I'm so down. What's the need? I'm down to help. That when that readiness isn't there, it reveals a a selfishness, a a, a stinginess. That we've got too tight of a grasp on the idol of me and what I want and what can benefit me. This, This cheerful giving is a readiness to give. And it's the natural response to God's grace in your life. We saw this in week one and week two. It's the natural response to those who have experienced the grace of God. Grace receivers become grace dispensers. And this readiness to give, it reveals contentment and God's gracious provision in our lives. Paul says, when you are cheerfully giving because God is a cheerful giver. God's going to provide all that you need. And then he says this, you will have everything you need in verse eight. This this giving, this readiness to give, it comes from a place of sufficiency, contentment in what God has provided. And it inspires, not not an independence of other people, but, but quite the opposite, a passion to help provide for others. You see, the Macedonians have been blessed with contentment in their poverty. We saw that in week one. And so they were able, even in that situation, to give generously, Paul said. The Corinthians had been blessed with contentment in their relative affluence, at least compared to the Macedonians. And so he says they should be willing to contribute generously, being content in their relative affluence should lead them to have this spirit of, I'm ready, I am down. The the, the same words that Paul uses here in Greek of having everything that you need, this contentment, those those same Greek words Paul uses in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, where he says this, godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That being content is a great wealth. It's of great value. Verse seven, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, Paul says, let us be content. It's sufficient. So let us be content. And then we can share with others. Paul says in verse eight, we'll have plenty to share with others. In Philippians chapter four, Paul uses the same Greek words here for contentment, for this sufficiency in God's provision. Paul says this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. There it is again. With whatever I have, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Paul says, I'm content. With plenty or with little, I'm content. I know the secret, Paul said. Christ is all I need. He's enough. And so because I'm content, I have to share with others. I have something to give to share with others. I'm ready because I'm content. To reinforce his challenge that the Corinthians should contribute generously in verse nine, Paul quotes from Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. In Psalm 112, starting in verse five, It says this, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They don't fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. So watch this. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. 
They will have influence and honor. That's an eternal impact right there. Their righteous deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. In Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, there's this celebration of the blessings that come to the one who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments, to a, a, a person that has been blessed by God with material prosperity. And to that person, there's the expectation to be content and then to be generous with what you have. So what Paul's been saying here is that the real reason someone gives is because they can't help but give. The spirit inside of them is pumping and beating to be down, to be ready. Like that's the first step forward. I'm down, I'm ready. Why? I can't help. I don't even know why, right? I, but I can't help it because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in me. And so I'm down, I'm ready. So here's the big idea today. I'm ready to give generously to the emergency. If you've been here, you know what I'm talking about when I say emergency, but, but I'm ready to give generously to the emergency. What we've seen here is that God is looking more at the quality of the gift, the quality of your heart, rather than the quantity. The, the quantity is important, but, it, but it's going to take care of itself because the quality of the gift of where your heart is will always overflow into the right quantity. I love what William Barclay said. It just stirred me this week. He said this, need, the emergency in other words, need wakens a desire that cannot be stilled. That's the Holy Spirit. It awakens a desire, a readiness. I'm down that cannot be stilled. That's, that's passion, right? That's passion. That's a readiness. And the Macedonians had this readiness. We saw in week one, they responded to the emergency with generosity. The Jerusalem believers responded to the emergency that there were people among the nations that didn't know who Jesus was. They responded to the emergency with generosity. About a month ago, I was deeply disturbed and bothered by something I read from Francis Chan. And I've told you every week I'm gonna share it with you so that you can be bothered and disturbed right along with me. I don't wanna be disturbed and bothered all by myself. I want some company, okay? So because of that, you know, misery loves company, so I want you to be, no, I'm just joking. Uh, but because of that, like I, I just wanna kind of poke you and disturb you and bother you a little bit this morning all over again. Francis Chan said in his book, Erasing Hell, we have become dangerously comfortable. He's talking about American Christians. Believers ooze with wealth and let their addictions to comfort and security numb the radical urgency of the gospel. Chan's saying there is an emergency. You and I just have had our heads in the sand. We've grown so comfortable, it's put us to sleep. I think Chan was disturbed and bothered by the idea that he was too comfortable. He'd grown numb to the radical urgency of the gospel. And maybe you have too. My prayer is that during this series, that maybe the Holy Spirit's just kind of awakening that desire, like Barclay said, a, a desire to give. Generosity to the emergency is the primary way we drive a stake in the heart of our idolatry to comfort and security. Over the last year, we've said it's time for a new core group to rise up. In this series, we've said it's time for a new core group to rise up like the Macedonians who will respond to the emergency with generosity, who will get uncomfortable by giving themselves first to the Lord and then to us. I want you to check out in this video what God has been doing in Christina's life in our church over the past few years and then what God is leading her to do as a result. So check out her story. 
Um, when I first came to the city, um, I was probably in one of the most challenging seasons of my life. Um, I was going through a divorce and that came with a lot of uncertainties and emotions. I wasn't actively going to church at the time, but I had been to the city on occasion and each time I was here, I felt the Holy Spirit and God's presence in the sermons and the worship. So it made sense that this is where Aliana and I should be. Um, that was probably one of the most pivotal decisions that I made. Um, Aliana and I are very involved in the church. Aliana is in the children's ministry. I serve in the children's ministry. We attended family camp. We attend midweek every week. Um, I'm part of a small group. And so looking back over the last two years, our lives have changed so much. We went from going to church on occasion to centering our life around God. Making a Project One commitment was so much more than just tithing to me. Um, during the season, I was handing a lot over to God because there were so many unknowns and things that were out of my control. But I noticed that I was picking and choosing what I was going to allow God to um, work in. And um, I knew that God was putting it on my heart that He wanted me to give everything to Him and that included my finances. It really has meant everything to me. Um, taking this next step that God was putting on my heart has completely transformed my relationship with Him. I feel closer to Him now than I ever have. You never know what lies on the other side of your obedience. Um, obedience is us showing God that we are putting Him first, that we trust Him, and it's telling him that we know everything we have comes from him. Every time we get an update on how many people have given their life to Christ, um, how many people have taken that next step in baptism, it's so inspiring to me. Um, and it's exciting that the city is making disciples and furthering God's kingdom. Getting to watch my daughter grow up, learning about Jesus, um, I'm so excited for her to get to the place where she feels like she's ready to commit her life to Christ. I see everything that the youth groups are doing and I just can't wait to see her experience all of that. Um, I really have been so humbled here at the city. Uh, my family is six hours away in San Antonio and during the season especially, I needed family. And coming to the city, I found that I was welcomed with open arms. Um, I had people praying for me, with me, sending text messages saying they were praying for me. And it meant so much. I've made so many lifelong friends and have gained a family through the city. Um, and our roots are here now and I feel like this is giving us the opportunity to rebuild our life with God as our foundation. I, I can't thank my city family enough for being the hands and feet of Jesus um, then and, and even still now. Would you help me thank Christina for sharing her story? <clears throat> Man, I really, I really wish you could know all of the backstories that, that we get the privilege of knowing. I, it, would, it would change everything if you did. If you could know the backstories of the people that you're sitting next to, of why they're here and what God's done in their life. Stories like this, in every one of these chairs, in every one of these rooms. Our team is passing out these commitment cards and I want you to take it with you this week and use it as a point of prayer. You're not filling it out right now. We're not passing plates right now. There's no baskets or anything like that right now. We're just asking that you would take it with you this week and pray over this card. And that this next Sunday, your card would represent you bringing your first and best to the Lord. 
recognizing that everything that you've been given is on loan from God and it's to be used in blessing the world. And so let's bring our first and best for the glory of God. If you'll open that card, I just wanna walk through it with you real quick. You'll notice the very first section on this card says, I'm new to project one. Maybe you're here last year and didn't make a commitment. Maybe you're brand new to our church. You're gonna check that box. It says, I would like to make a 12 month commitment to project one uh, in this amount. And it's uh, an amount that starts this December and goes through next December of 24. You'll notice that asterisk says, this includes regular giving over the next 12 months, one-time gifts, things like that, stored resources gifts, year-end gifts. Stored resource gift is not what God's gonna give to you, it's what he's already given to you, maybe in savings or retirement or just you know whatever that God would lead you to give. That's between you and the Lord. But maybe he's leading you to give a one-time gift this December as a year-end gift as a part of your Project One commitment. You'll put all of that together and put that in that blank. Next, it says, I'm already committed to Project One. You'll fill in what your original two-year commitment was. You've got that in quarterly statements through email and in the mail. If you don't remember what that is, you can call the church office and uh, Bert will get that number to you. But you'll see at the midpoint of project one, it says, I would like to confirm that commitment. I wanna finish strong. Or secondly, maybe increase my two-year commitment to this new total over those two years, including, again, any regular giving, stored resource gifts, one-time gifts over these next, over these two years from last year to this next year. So that, that's the card that we're gonna be turning in next week. And I wanna challenge you to take it with you this week and to pray over that card and then bring it with you next week. We'll have extras in case you forget next week as well. If you know you're not gonna be here, we invite you to participate through the digital online version on our app under the Project One tab, or you can fill out that card and bring it to us before or after this Sunday as well. I know some of you are gonna be giving for the very first time and it's gonna be a huge step of faith. And that is amazing. Some of you are gonna be giving more than you ever have in your life. Many of you have already been in that boat over the last year. And God has done incredible things through that step of faith, I promise you. Some of you, your giving might stay the same and that's gonna be a sacrifice because of maybe a job change or other kind of financial change in your life. Some of you, it might even be less because again, of a different job or a life circumstance. Whatever those numbers are, it should represent full surrender, our first and best, faith and sacrifice. And so again, take that card and pray about your commitment this week to either make a new commitment, to finish strong or to increase. And then join us next Sunday, November 12th, as we covenant together as a church to take these steps of faith. But this, this radical generosity, this readiness, this, this, this being down to give, this is our DNA, whether you realize it or not. This is where we come from. Not, not this casual, comfortable Christianity that we've grown accustomed to. No, this is who we are. And my prayer is that God would awaken our true identity as cheerful, radical givers, that he would awaken that in us because we aren't just about going to church and being comfortable. We're about passionately following Jesus, living out his mission, developing his heart. This is discipleship. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And in the book of Acts, The Romans started to say about these new Christians, they called them followers of the way. The Romans started to say about them, started with 120 people in that upper room. And towards the end of Acts, the Romans would say about these followers of the way, they're turning the world upside down. That's where we come from. Those are our people. They are your brothers and sisters. It's time for us to take our place. Would you pray with me? God, would your spirit loosen our grip 
on our idols and help us to take hold of glory, of eternity, of the spiritual things that really matter. God, I pray that you would give us a radical urgency for the emergency. And that God, we would take this moment in the life of our church seriously. God, I pray that your spirit would transform a comfortable, casual people here into radical disciples of Jesus that are ready, that are down. Would your spirit awaken a desire in us, a passion in us that we haven't had before? With their heads bowed, eyes closed, just a moment between you and God. The only reason we're talking about any of this is because our God was the first giver and he's the best giver. He gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. You see, the Bible says every single one of us have sinned against God. We've fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him and to go to heaven when we die. And the Bible says there's no amount of good things that you could ever do to be right with God. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And the only way you can be forgiven of your sin is to give your life to Jesus, whom the Father gave to you and proved his love for you by sending Jesus to pay your fine. Death on a cross, you broke God's law, so you have to pay God's fine. And it's eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But the great news is that God loves, so God gave. And he gave his son on that cross as a sacrifice to pay your fine for sin. And then three days later, he rose his son from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death. And the Bible says, whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God died for them, that Jesus died for them and rose again, they will be saved. And so this morning, the first step of faith for you, the first gift from you if you've never given your life to Jesus, it's to give your life to Jesus. It's to abandon all hope in your good works, abandon all hope in ever being good enough to be right with God or to go to heaven when we die. Abandon all hope in yourself and place all of your hope in Jesus Christ alone who died for you and rose from the grave. And so if you're here, and you've never given your life to Jesus because you've been thinking that if you could be good enough, you could be right with God and go to heaven when you die. Today is your day to abandon all hope in your good works and place all of your hope in Jesus and give your life to Jesus today. And if that's you, pull out that connect card and the seat back in front of you, fill it out, check the box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. Take it to our team at the Welcome Center in the lobby and they wanna pray with you, and celebrate that decision with you. God, I pray that your spirit would move and draw every single last one of us to yourself. Speak to us this morning. And spirit, as we, as we sing, move in our hearts, that, that stir our hearts, that, that you and us might become first. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in worship?